Mythopoets, a podcast where we look at tarot, magic, and witchcraft through a mythopoetic lens. I'm your host, Amanda Yates Garcia, and this podcast is produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. If you'd like to support this project, consider joining our coven for rituals, community, tarot practice, magic, and more. Thanks for flying with us. We're glad you're here. the Queen of Cups tarot card, we see a queen gazing intently into a lidded golden goblet. And by the power of their attention and care, whatever is in that goblet is infused with magic. Like the sea itself, the essence of the suit of cups is to ebb and flow. And this queen teaches us to pay attention to our own cycles and rhythms. When this card comes up in a reading, Remember that something new is growing inside you, preparing to be born. Stay tuned as we discuss all of this and more with our special guest and creativity expert, Dr. Diana Rivera. Greetings, listeners. It's Amanda Yates Garcia here. Now, before we meet our guest, I want to give you a quick rundown of the Queen of Cups card and what it means for you when it comes up in a reading. So you'll remember that the Queen of Cups in the Rider Waite Coleman Smith deck is a queen. She's sitting in like a stone throne and there are little cherubim all over the throne. And they're wearing this gown that looks like it's made of water. And at their feet, there are all of these, like a pile of of stones that look like they've been worn smooth over millions of years of the tides coming in and out. And it's almost like she's melting into the ocean or the sea, or maybe emerging out of it. It's looking like she's coming from the water, like she is the spirit of the water itself. And they're looking at this urn. It's a golden goblet, one might say, but it looks very much in this version of the deck, not all versions, but in this version, it looks like almost like a reliquary for a saint or something. It looks very ornate and there are angels on it and there's a cross on top of it and it's all bejeweled and bedazzled and she's staring at it very intently. It's almost like you can feel her will penetrating through the golden vessel into whatever it's holding inside. Now it has a lid on it so you can't see what's going on inside, right? It's, it's, it's hidden from view. The hermetic title of this card is Queen of the Thrones of the Waters, Queen of the Nymphs and Undines. And the date that it corresponds to is from June 11th, which is 20 degrees Gemini to July 12th, 19 degrees Cancer. So if you're wondering about timing when this card comes up, look to those dates. In any case, think summer around the time of summer solstice because that is when cancer begins. Okay, let's think about this. Cancer, that is the astrological sign that corresponds with this card. 
That's a cardinal water sign. And usually off the top of our head, if we think of Cancerians, we might think of a caregiver or a nurturer or a protector. Shadow side of Cancerians might be someone who is passive aggressive or sulky or emotionally volatile or constantly triggered or something like that. So we get both of these folded into one, the ebbs and the flows, as we mentioned before, the tides coming in and the tides going out. Queens are always water of water. So this queen rules the suit of cups. And so it's the most watery part of water. It's where the river meets the sea. It's the deep well. It's the lake so deep that you can't see the bottom. It's Avalon, the fairy isle, the land beneath the waves. If you're going to integrate this card into your rituals and you wanted some ritual tools to go with it, you might have like sea salt or ocean scents. You might use golden goblets or stones worn smooth from the tumbling of water. You could use shells, pearls, water deities, moon water. Cancer rules the moon, and this sign corresponds to Cancer. I like to think of the Queen of Cups as Nimue, the Lady of the Lake in Arthurian legend. You can listen to the Page of Cups card if you want to know more about that. Nimue is an enchantress from the realms of water, and she's a transitive figure. She, she brings forth sacred objects from the other world. Some might call it the realms of the unconscious or the imagination. But she brings things forward from that world into our world where they become powerful and bless those who use them. Remember how Nimue in Arthurian legend brings forth the sword of insight and discernment. Remember, I'm speaking of this very literally. When the Queen of Cups comes up, you you need to bring something into being. That's what's happening. That's what the message is. So your task is to first. I'm going to give you your task in three parts. Makes it easy, right? It's just like, wham, bam, we're done. Here's how we handle it when the Queen of Cups comes up. Okay, here it is. Number one, recognize. Recognize what is going on inside you. What are the feelings, the images? What is your intuition telling you? What about your body? What is your emotional state right now? And where do you feel it somatically? Where do you feel it in your body? Because the dominant culture, capitalism, patriarchy, white supremacy, the kiriarchy, wants us to override our intuition, our emotions, our physical experience in order to serve capital. We are encouraged to ignore all the messages of how something feels, what we want, in order to generate capital. When the Queen of Cups comes up, she is a revolutionary elder reminding you not to ignore those things, but to listen to them, to to really tune in and feel them, to become aware of them, to communicate with them. Side note, this might not just be about what's going on inside of you. It could also be about what's going on in a relationship with someone in your world or something or the, or the world itself. But paying that deep attention and recognizing what is happening. Since the suit of cups is thematically related to both relationships and the imagination, either way, it is helpful at first to listen to what's coming up without judgment. So you're just tuning in. 
you're just paying attention. That in itself is hard enough because often we get triggered or things get in the way or we have like our desires that we want to have fulfilled. And so we can neglect to really listen to what is happening. You have to be able to hear what the message is before you decide it should be something else. And that takes time. It takes quiet. You have to sit with things for a while. You know, like how in a lake, you might have to wait for the sediment to settle before you can see the fish in the water. So that's step one. Queen of Cups comes up. First thing you need to do is recognize the emotional inner state of whatever is going on around and within you. Your second task then when the Queen of Cups comes up is to decide what to do about it. Now that you have received the message, it's time to work with it. Like, you know, like an artist. You have your materials, which are the messages that have come from the other world or the unconscious or literally the other, as in another person or a situation. So you have the raw material. Now you have to get creative with it. You have to shape it in all sorts of different ways. You have to find uh, new nooks and crannies in it. You have to turn it over. You have to find something surprising within it and add something to it. You have so many options of how to respond. And as a writer, I know that my first impulse, my first draft, is usually full of cliches and easy, uninteresting solutions to, you know, whatever it is that my intention is to write about. So let's say I wanted to write about Hecate, or I wanted to write about the moon, or I wanted to write about cancer, or I wanted to write about the Queen of Cups. The first thing that you might have pop into your head is probably not going to be the most interesting thing. It's not going to push things in a new direction because it's the imagination that makes things new. But you need a first draft in order to get to the second and the third draft, and that's where things start to get more interesting and original. Similarly, in your relationships, your first impulse might not be the impulse you want to act on, right? Your first impulse might be to yell or to leave or to shrink back. But the Queen of Cups is here to remind you that you get to decide. You get to decide what to do. You get to do a little research. You get to brainstorm. You get to try things out in different ways. You get some studio time with whatever it is that you're trying to do. And in order to make our way to that decision moment, most of us need tools, right? We need tools to slow ourselves down because otherwise, you know, it'll be like the first year undergrad and, you know, writing class who's like, I tossed this essay off in 10 minutes and turn it right in. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) no we need to slow ourselves down we need to look at it again we need to um, allow ourselves to sink deeper and deeper into the real truth into the real essence of what we're trying to get at because the queen of cups is mature he's not acting on impulse as if he were a two-year-old he's not using too much force he's skillful in the art of imagination and relationship so Step one is to recognize, and step two is to decide. Then your third step when the queen comes up is to create, to bring something forth into the world. That's the whole point, right? 
when the queen has a creature developing in her womb, the point isn't just to keep it there inside the cup. It's to give birth to it. Now that's the hard part. (laughs) Now you need to make something. Maybe you need to make a phone call or write a letter. Maybe you need to write a poem by writing it out with pencil on paper, not just thinking about it. Maybe you need to dance it into the world. But the point is, whatever you are making is no longer just an idea. It's no longer just a possibility. It's an event. It's something that's happening. It's something that you can touch, can smell, can hear. For me, the image that comes up for this card is the well, the well of creativity. It's like something is materializing out of the depths. And you're sitting and you're listening and you're seeing and you're watching it rise up through the dark, cold water. But then you're touching it, you're pulling it out of the well and you're presenting it to the world. Leading with her intuition, with dreams and the power of love, the Queen of Cups inspires the dry springs within us to flow again. We can think of her as an intuitive counselor that we can call upon for guidance. When she appears in our readings, she's offering to teach us the art of creativity and the arts of love. We are not alone. There is a listener to answer our prayers. There is a lover present. Now, if this card is reversed, it's going to look more like loneliness or not being able to bring forth what is within you. It's going to feel like a dry well, thirst, confusion, not being able to listen, not being able to relate. It might be someone who comes into your life who's all imagination but no action, no earth to ground her, no air to bring clarity or no fire to help them take action. But that's okay because the Queen of Cups, even when they're reversed, is showing up with tools to help you make things work, to turn them around again, to cultivate them. So let's go find our guest today, Diana Rivera, to help us understand more about how to use these tools of the Queen of Cups and what it means when she comes up for you. Dr. Diana Rivera is a psychologist in Los Angeles whose research focuses on creative empowerment and cultivating intuition. In addition to her PhD in psychology, she also holds degrees in theater arts and American studies. I first met Diana many, many years ago when we were both working in arts education. She has this amazing ability, both in her presence and in the way she engages with you, just the way she looks at you, to make you feel like you're full of good ideas and able to bring those ideas into reality. Her enthusiasm for creativity is catching. A person like that is a real gift to have in your life. Like, if you are an oyster, she helps you see that you are full of pearls, which is exactly what the Queen of Cups does when she comes up in your reading. I can't wait for you to meet Diana, so let's go find her. Queen of Cups, we, we have you on to talk about the Queen of Cups, but before 
We do. Uh, I would love to just introduce you to my listeners a little bit. Maybe you could just start off by telling us a little bit about your work and how you came to do what you do. I'll share with you a little bit about um, my work. I mean, um, you know, I think there's a short answer and then there's a longer answer. But, um, you know, the short answer is that I have a private uh, psychological practice here in Los Angeles, um, serving individuals, couples, and families. I'd say the bulk of my work these days is working um, psychotherapeutically with individuals. And um, I work with a a really broad spectrum of clients, many of whom are creative uh, people, creative types. Although I would say that all people are creative in some ways. So even those, I would not say, you know, this is the artist in the room, but that they have creative potential. And these are the people that I choose to work with, a very diverse community. But um, in terms of the work that I do or what sort of the steps that led me here, but it kind of uh, goes back to my time at UC Santa Cruz. Um, I was thinking about this prompt, you know, because usually that's a question, tell us about your work. But I remember this one day I was in a college counseling office and I was asking some questions about um, one of my majors at the time was theater arts. So I wanted to, you know, make sure I was getting certain classes in. I had something going on at the office. I had to you know, get the questions answered. And I remember there was this um, poster on the wall that said, you know, a workshop, you know, it must've been downtown Santa Cruz for, um, you know, helping people release their, um, their expressive voice, you know, from like five to seven on a Wednesday. And it was, you know, it was the nineties. So the, the, the flyer was like done, you know, Kinko's and, you know, total zine style. Exactly. And I remember just looking at it and thinking to myself, I want to do that. I want to help people with their expressive voice. And so that I think led me to many realms, um, you know, obviously in the arts, myself, um, theater arts, helping my own voice first, working with others, you know, theatrically, artistically with their voices, working collaboratively with people. And then it kind of morphed into, I think, some other professional things, working with um, an education um, teaching arts to children and adolescents and teachers and artists and, and then coaching artists. And um, long story short, that led me to psychology. I ultimately knew one day that I wanted to sort of deepen into the realms of, of the psychological aspects of expression. And, um, and I knew I needed both research under my belt. I needed time to, to think and contemplate things. And, um, and I needed training to be able to do it. So fast forward, here I am today with a practice talking to my dear friend, Amanda, who's also an incredible artist. (laughs) Well, you know, what's so interesting about that story is that you became essentially who you are today because you happened to see a Xeroxed, like, sign somewhere and that led you down this path and it's just really interesting how intuition works and how synchronicity works that you know your whole life can change based on what street you decide to walk down that day and whether or not that sign is there or not and that you can't really plan Like, you can't plan to see that, you know, it just kind of happens. And we can find our way by just really paying attention to what sparks 
that joy inside us or what sparks that feeling of aliveness. Like, I want to find out more about that. And then, you know, fast forward and you've got a PhD and creativity and psychology and you're working with artists and you're working as a therapist and everything and helping people find their voice and their creative voice. And I, the reason that we really wanted to have you on for Queen of Cups is because we really see this um, figure of the Queen of Cups as someone who is connected to their creativity, who is in connection with their intuition and their creative voice and can also inspire that in others. And so, and you're a cancer, so you're water sign. You're perfect for the Queen of Cups. You're perfect for this, this show. Do you ever integrate tarot into your psychology practice or your, your creative coaching practice? Yes, I'd love to share that with you. Um, first, before I begin, I just wanted to say in, in reference to what you just said, Amanda, never underestimate a sign. Never underestimate any um, you know, symbol that you may stumble into, especially what's in pattern with other things. Never underestimate it uh, 1,000%. It could lead you, well, it could transform your life. There you go. Um, you know, it's interesting because in my professional practice, um, I have not brought tarot into uh, my psychology practice, uh, primarily because I, and we have talked about this before, it's, there's always a, a, a complex conversation with, you know, um, you know, scientifically treated therapeutic methodologies and all that kind of stuff. Actually, things I don't totally subscribe to, to be, to be honest, but um, tarot has always been very personal to me. And I think to my own personal work as a human, um, you know, as a psychologist, there's a lot of different definitions people have of it. Um, but I sort of abide to the um, breaking apart of psychologists as in the psyche and the uh, logos aspect that there is the psyche that we have some understanding about or wish to have some understanding about. And then the logos, the psychologist, that is the referring to the inherent wisdom of the psyche. So I feel that that work as a psychologist um, very much sort of encapsulates um, uh, sort of an, an esoteric or etheric part of me that I treat really seriously. Um, and that I no doubt, I think, bring to my practice with clients, especially those who are open to it. Uh, it wouldn't be unlike me at the end of a day to do a spread for myself just on the energies of the day or to understand some type of harmony or disharmony that I experience inside of myself for my own personal wisdom. Um, and I know other clinicians that do something similar, whether it's with um, divination practices, I Ching, things of that sort. Um, you know, I just haven't necessarily brought it into my practice. That's why we have people like you who are... Um, a specialist, I think, in this, bringing it into the, into a practice that I really value so very, very much. I love that so much, that idea of the, of the wisdom of the psyche and the idea that it, you know, the psyche that our, our the combination of our, our spirit, our capacity for language, our capacity for creativity, our emotional world has an inherent wisdom in it and has the capacity to heal and is connected to the psyche of not only just other humans, but the world soul, the, all the, the spirit of nature, the spirit of those stones and the elements and the animals and the plants and, and all, you know, the collective unconscious that we might call it. So I just think that that's a really beautiful observation. I want to dive in specifically now to some of your work about creative theory, because 
For me, that's such an essential part of the Queen of Cups. Um, you might remember that, you know, in the Rider White Coleman Smith version of the deck, for instance, she's holding a golden like goblet or urn, and she's staring deeply into it. And it's like they are bringing something forth from within this cauldron, this golden cauldron of life. You know, it's very um, primordial. It's very womb-like for me. I envision it that way, like, or or as like a an elixir of creative juices are contained within this this cauldron. So, you know, you you've written about this thing called the four P's of creativity, people, process, products, and places. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yes, um, I can. I wish I could take credit for the four P's of creativity, but actually it's a pretty well-known um, creative, like kind of typological theory. It looks at different types of creativity, but it's so readily used and I probably have, you know, cited it and various papers and stuff. So um, it's a very, I would say, um, how do I describe it? It's um, in a way, it's a very simple sort of theory, but I think it's laid out well for um, people who have no uh, experience themselves, quote unquote, no experience themselves with creativity and from a psychological perspective. And it basically says that creativity in many ways is like a um, a four-sided um, diamond of some sort, you know, there's, and there's different ways you can study it almost like portals into understanding creativity. Um, there are people. There is, uh, so there's creative people. There is creative process. There are creative products. And then there are creative uh, presses of environment or places. And so within four of these different aspects is almost like, again, a portal that you can enter into to actually study what is happening creatively. In the first case, we have creative people. Um, people are creative. Um, people express themselves through creativity. What is creativity? You know, different domains of artistry. There's also everyday expressions of creativity, tending to your garden, um, a relationship with your pet, um, the ways that you dress yourself. So people are creative, apparently, and that's one part of it. Then there is process, how a person actually um, expresses their creativity through the creative process, collaboration, uh, starts to really delve into different um, creative um, activities that people do, whether it's, you know, in dance and drama, you know, you name it. Then there's products. It looks specifically at how people produce um, objects creatively. Um, and it looks at the innovation of a particular product or how it was manifested. And then, of course, like I said, the, the innovation aspect of it. Um, and then the fourth piece is places, how places themselves can evoke creativity or inspire creativity. Um, and I will say that in all of this, my interest has always been in all of it, but specifically with the people and the process part. Because I just find that the most fascinating. So my contribution, I think, the most with creativity and psychology has been through the imagination. And I'll just share really briefly about that because I think it re does relate very deeply with the Queen of Cups. And I'll Hope to explain a little bit why. Everyone has an imaginary life. Everyone has an experience with imagination. And when I was um, looking into my dissertation, I really wanted to focus on imagination. And I first kind of came into it, I had a good sense based on just work that I'd done in creativity that imagination is an experience. It is an experience. And I wanted to learn more about it. So I 
had a chance to, you know, do a lot of reading and writing about it. And I uh, interviewed a lot of different artists. But what I uh, really learned as a result of the dissertation is, and the studying that goes with it, is that um, while imagination is an experience, it is an experience that happens in three ways. It happens inside of oneself. That's intrapersonally. It happens between people. So it's interpersonal. You can think collaborations between artists or, you know, and actually in any field, to be honest with you, that uses an imagination. And then there is a transpersonal aspect to imagination. It's um, often um, a connection with, uh, communication with, or some type of communion with the um, forces amongst us, both esoteric and etheric and symbolic and mythological and cosmological. And I know on all the artists that I talked to, all three were discovered in all the subjects. And I mean, it wasn't just, you know, two people that I talked to. I mean, I talked to like, you know, you know, up to 20 different artists, maybe more, even with like samples that I was doing um, prior and just conversations that I was having, having in general with artists. So um, if imagination is an experience that's happening within oneself, between people and in the um, transpersonal world that we live in, that says, I think, a lot about what creativity is drawn from. You know, the, um, I guess, esoterically or maybe symbolically, it is like the imagination is the, the water from the, the Queen of Cups is the thing that she uh, holds or the object that this, this entity holds for us and is giving to us to, to, um, to drink, to um, consume as part of the, the creativity. It's like a sacrament in a way, if I can you know, think in that manner, um, or at least I'm almost imagining in that manner. It's like consuming something that helps us then get to the creativity part, which is about productivity. It's about really the manifestation part of, um, of imagination. So anyways, uh, just uh, wanting to clarify some of that contribution in case it, you know, leads some of your listeners to who have also been really curious about, about these realms. All of that is so fascinating, and I'm so excited about all of it. I, you're inspiring me to think of um, the goddess Caridwin, who is the minder, the keeper of this cauldron. And within this cauldron that she has is Awen, which is this elixir, this m- magical substance of of creativity that comes from the other world. It comes from the fairy world or the underworld or the land of women or the apple isle as it's called in various different Celtic mythologies. And it's almost like it is the substance of, that makes up this world and that world is the inner world. That there's, a, there's an outer world and there's an inner world. And in, in Celtic myth, they're on top of each other, right? They're, they're interpenetrating with one another in the same way that our inner and outer worlds interpenetrate with one another. And then there's this idea that for, for humans, potentially for all beings, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> but humans don't just imagine internally, as you're saying, right? There's all these different ways in which we imagine, and to imagine is to step into the other world, to step into 
the realms of inspiration, the realms of fairy, the realms of the underworld and the upper world and the spirit world and the ancestral realms and the realms of the elementals, right? And so symbols or like, let's say a painting or dance performance or theatrical performance, but let's say an object because we were talking about that with products. Kind of, it sounds like a corporate sounding word, but I, but what I'm understanding from you is like, objects that we might make or artifacts or like artistic objects, right? Yes. So if you're looking at a painting and that painting is inspiring you to go on a journey into your inner world or you're reading a poem that is inspiring you to go somewhere, you know, to to have an experience, as you're saying, then, then your brain... But not just your brain, but your your spirit, your soul, your intelligence, your imagination is, is externalized and is collaborating with not only the artist who created that work, but all the materials that are in that work, the objecthood of it, right? The paint, the pigments, the people who made the paintbrushes, the, the plants that made the fabric that the painting is on and all the, also the history of the imagination of all the people that that artist studied and, and talked to and their, you know, cohort who they were inspired by. And that all is imaginal too, right? Because our relationships are, we can't touch them, right? Like you and I have a relationship, but we can't point to it and say, here is our relationship. It happens within us, but it, it's happening together as well. And so, yeah, it's so fascinating, all of this. I mean, what do you understand by what the imagination is? Like when someone wants to work with the imagination. It's one of those ideas that we have a sense of, oh, I know what the imagination is. I use that word in a sentence, or I, I, I know what that means. But what do we really mean by it, do you think? Well, I think it's such a great question. I mean, in, in many ways, I, I think I left my dissertation knowing more about imagination and also um, just being in awe of the mystery that is our imagination and where it's seated exactly as you say, within the, the north, south, east, west, consciousness, body, psyche, dimension. It is vast. It is possibly intergalactic. Um, and it is, is uh, all things inside and all things outside. <laughs> um, I remember a really long time ago, this was um, when I was doing more actual teaching to um, children and I was teaching in the arts and there was a big focus on the development of the imagination. And I, I remember one day in almost a lead up to my dissertation, asking a group of, must've been 10 year olds, where does the imagination come from? And they're almost the best subjects children to ask because they're, they're not as, um, you know, I guess they're unfiltered in many ways. They, they, they don't have as many kind of, I don't know, in, certain barriers intellectually and stuff. And I remember this one um, child um, answered and said, oh, it most surely must come from outside of us, maybe even from another galaxy. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought to myself, you know, that's, that's a perfect way of trying to get my mind flexible now and really starting to think almost inter, in an, intergalactically, almost with, between, various, well, between various worlds um, where anything is possible. And so because imagination is, 
is there going back to, I think the queen of cups and this, I love the, the explanation you were giving. It, it is like the, the, the water in the chalice, or it's like the, the water in the cup It is given to you. Um, and it is then yours to have and is yours to take. And, um, as it moves through you, or as you begin to sort of tap into it and, utilize it, that is when creativity happens. And creativity is almost the manifestation aspect of it. Um, Maybe this is part of the matrix of the Queen of Cups. It's like what you manifest and and really create, develop, make. You're right. Products sound so um, kind of like, you know, like corporate business. And you're right. It's more objects and artifacts and um, Heck, I mean, even I guess a product could be who you are, how you produce as a human, right? Sure. Or like your costume or the food that you eat or or even like a creative way of approaching relationship or living your life. I, I think of it that way. I mean, what you're talking about is really fascinating and important because... You're talking about the imagination as essentially this power, this water, this this substance from which ideas emerge, from which visions emerge, mythologies, symbols, um, new forms. And we could receive that, right? Like we, we can have that vision, but unless we we as witches or magicians um, or artists bring that vision into material reality. Like we're, we're kind of transmuting through our body. We're receiving the waters of the imagination into our body. And then we're working with it in, in this co-created reality of material form. And kind of spreading it around, right? Like we're putting paintings in the world. We're putting dances into the world. We're making new foods. And we're making foods that we've made traditionally for thousands of years together. And we're having conversations and all of this stuff. So it's, it seems very deeply spiritual and, and very beautiful. Um, I'm wondering how, how do we access it like from the perspective of your modality as someone who's an expert in creativity and who's done so much thinking about it what what can we do to cultivate the imagination and then to cultivate our creativity in terms of how we live yes I have a lot of thoughts about that actually and I'm really inspired too by the the um the nature of the queen of cups and what it represents to help us get there um and one thing I wanted to say before I, I kind of give us a little bit about that is um, that in many ways, the Queen of Cups has the will of imagination and um, creativity is the conductor in, in all of this. It's the self-energy that we direct outward. So how do we do that? There has to be some kind of channel. There has to be some kind of way. And I think tarot in many ways is a, is a technology that many people use to help in that um, space of um of creativity, transformation helps us get to creativity. Um, in fact, both ways, transformation helps us get there. And then also we are transformed from creativity. And uh, recently, and I, I hope this is on point with your question, but in terms of the channeling, recently I was sort of um, thinking a lot about the word transformation and sort of breaking the word apart 
for myself and thinking about how in many ways it's a it's two parts it's trance and it's formation and um and i think it's in a way valuable here trance is actually very important the channel of trance um i think to activate some kind of imaginal part of ourselves the imagination within ourselves and i think that ultimately it can also help tap into one's formation how creativity is formed or it's how it's put into motion or how it's put into action or where that self energy is directed so by trance for some people that are um have maybe their own perspective on it um but i sort of see it as an active space of imagination and you can get into trance through um a lot of different ways re- repetitive movement and dance um you can um you can get into a trance space through the use of drums or listening to drums you can get into trance space through looking at a wall a spot on the wall for an hour you might find yourself in a trance you might find yourself in a trance through hypnosis or hypnotic activities again through even tarot in some ways you know you might even be able to access trance through it or you're in trance and then get into tarot um i think some of these things are really coming to mind even silent retreats can be very trance like so i think that um the channeling of trance can be very important to accessing one's imagination and therefore accessing one's creativity and um that's the form that i see that's kind of ha- is coming to me as we're talking about things and where i see possibly some integration oh yeah yeah you know the it's the word trance i'm thinking how it's very similar to the word trans right it's just few letters off and so trance is shifting between states of awareness right shifting through states of consciousness and that shift in our consciousness allows us to leave the ordinary or mundane reality or or to leave the reality that we're living in our ontology our way of seeing the world our way of being and enter into other forms so there are potentially an infinite number of forms or worlds that we could enter into through trance that is one of the practices of the witch or different medicine people or shamanic work or any work that requires you to move between the realms and then there's the idea of trans the transitive in language means like a process of unfolding or shifting between things or like trans personal is when we're moving through not just the personal but into external forms or you know trans gender for instance means that we're shifting between known genders and potentially an infinite number of genders or you know all the different ways that we might consider that like transmutation of elements is like shifting between elements of water and air uh or water and fire and 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 that one element becoming another element and that seems to be a very important function of the imagination um and creativity is about the the transformation of our psyche our relationships 
the world around us and that kind of um, interpenetrability. Like it is like water because it leaks into all these different things. It moves between, the, yeah, that fluidity and that possibility for, for change, the possibility for seeing things differently. So I'm wondering like, you know, if folks out there aren't artists or don't consider themselves to be artists, but they get the Queen of Cups in a reading and they're thinking, how can I apply this idea about creativity and the imagination to whatever circumstance might be going on in my life? For instance, should I break up with my current partner? Should I uh, move across country? You know, how can I move through this period of grief? Um, things like that. Like, how, how might you recommend people use their creativity and um their imagination in those circumstances, or how do you recommend that as a therapist? Absolutely. So yeah, in the first case, we have the trans formation that I just talked about. And then for others who maybe are like, I'm not an artist, but I'm getting the queen of cups and there's something resonant here, either about this matrix of creativity or there's something else latent in that card that may be supportive to my, my journey. And I think one way of also looking at it is through the perspective of the emotions and that the, that in many ways it's the cup of the emotional inner life and of the cup of emotional awareness. And the Queen of Cup may also be trying to show you this. Um, imagination is, I think, incredibly important to empathy or being able to experience empathic regard for self and others. And imagination is even important to understanding aspects of your own emotional life and that of others. So I'd say if you were to get this, if you're trying to link things, it's, um, I think, a call in many ways to really look at your own emotional life, you know, and how to best use your imagination to tap into your emotional life, to get a better grasp about things or to learn about the harmony or the disharmony or the patterns that are maybe presenting themselves in the here and now. I mean, obviously everything, you know, it depends on the circumstance. Everyone has their things that they're trying to investigate about themselves. Um, but certainly imagination, I think, can help to get into the shoes of yourself or maybe that of someone else or that of a circumstance that you're looking to, um, to understand, you know. So well observed, you know, as you're saying that, it's prompting me to consider the psyche of our generations. I've thought so much about, for instance, you know, I'm Gen X, you're Gen X too. Yeah, is that right? I am. Yeah. yeah, so you're kind of on the edge though, right? Of Gen X and millennial. But so a lot of there's a lot of discussion within Gen Xers of how like our parents didn't necessarily know how to be interested in or to to in, in like communicate with our inner worlds as children, which means like being able to ask. <laughs> you know, what's going on inside of you? What are you thinking about? You know, what are you feeling about? How are you relating? And it seems like their parents were even more unable to contact their, their own inner worlds because in order to be able to, to really understand the inner world of another, like you also have to understand that you have an inner world or have access to your inner psyche, your spirit. And I don't know if I'm making sense, 
or if this is resonating for people, but I've just known a lot of people from my generation who've said things to me like, my father didn't care about my inner world. He didn't even know that I had one. You know, it was all about like how things were going on the outside. But understanding one's own relationship to the world, which might not be able to be articulated, especially as a child, right? We might not be able to say what's going on within us. And even if we are able to say, we might not be able to say it accurately, right? We might not be able to describe what we're feeling and and what's going on within our imagination in a way that feels authentic to what is actually happening. Like we might not have the language to do that. And so I feel like the, the queen of cups is advocating for us to exactly, as you said, to be able to enter into our inner world, to be able to articulate it, understand it, spend time there, dwell inside of it, understand the nuances of it. And then also maybe to consider trying to understand the inner world of the people that you're in relationship with. And that maybe the thing that they're saying or doing is not necessarily translating from what is actually going on inside them. Uh, For some reason, the word transportation is coming up for me, but uh, imagination is the great transporter. You know, it can transport you back within yourself for greater understanding, or it can also transport you into the lives of another person, even to whom you have the greatest conflict with, to better understand what may be happening for that person, for your own empowerment, for your own betterment, for your own progress. Um, you know, I mean, there's a, there's actually a lot to say there, but, um, I I actually really like that you brought in the whole, um, you know, Gen Z sort of, you know, experience. There may be even, imagination may, may change throughout, you know, the human development. I, who knows? That's maybe for another talk, but, um, yeah, the great transporter. Yeah, and if we if we can't imagine someone else's perspective, then it's hard to hold something as sacred or valuable. It's open for destruction. It's open for exploitation if you imagine that something else doesn't have an inner world. Well, you know, and I would add that, um, you know, there's also some facets of imagination that are very painful for others as well. And that would include imagining things that you never want to imagine happening to another person or a community or a culture or a fill-in-the-blank. You've written essays about actors and their process and how studies have shown that actors and other folks who become artists often like to read more as children and like to enter imaginal worlds as children. Um, And so let me, I'm quoting, and also that performers had an ability to feel and express emotions honestly, as well as in unique ways that were effective in meeting the demands of both interpersonal and intrapersonal situations. So it sounds like what you're saying is that creativity helps you with emotional intelligence. Yes. Well, we can definitely talk about that. But I've always been very intrigued by um, 
the work of actors. I guess, you know, I first got into drama when I was 11 years old and it was extremely transformational for me, <laughs> thinking about what we talked about earlier, trans and formation, right? Um, I was able to channel, you know, different characters, different timelines, different experiences, otherworldly for me. So I was always really interested in actually the moment before an actor goes onto stage where they're themselves and then they just transition into a character. And, and I don't know what it is about that particular moment, but I've always been really, really fascinated by it. And also in the, um, the exiting of, of the onstage pre- presence, do actors ultimately, can they be transformed by their own characters? Can they also take on the habits, behaviors, and, um, and other functionalities of the characters that they play? Could it actually change the course of their life? So I've, I've been interested in, in actors in a lot of ways. But one thing for sure is that I wanted to point out in all this is that, and going back to imagination, is that actors as artist subjects um, tend to be, they tend to activate their imagination skills in many ways, the most. Not to say that writers don't do it, not to say the directors don't do it, not to say the dancers don't do it. It just, it's actually in a way, um, it plays a unique part of an actor's training the imagining a character, imagining the environment, imagining the timeline, imagining the history, imagining, imagining, imagining in order to then, you know, perform it. And so that you begin to really embody that image and then creatively bring that action to the stage. So um, I I think it's very interesting to think about that. Another thing about actors, you know, they're very fantasy prone, um, same with writers. So they're actually are really great subjects for hypnosis, to be honest with you. Um, and they would be very good subjects for divination practices and to engage in divinity, I think. Yeah, I have, I have a lot of actor clients and they are just really able to go there. And I love that. You know, I love and they're just really able to enter into this other world with me. It's so much fun. Um, and it really makes me think, too, what you're saying about how, you know, actors are Im- imagining the perspective and the other world of someone else. That might be radically different from who they are, completely different personality. And then bringing, like embodying it, as you said, so much so that then they, they can interact with someone else who is also doing the same thing in an authentic way. That is really mind-blowing. Well, that, it is, and to kind of wrap it into some other things we were talking about with empathic regard and um, really developing your emotional life, right? And this isn't just that actors own this. It's just that by the very nature of the domain of art that they're in, they have to learn to get into the shoes of other people. That's like, you know, a big request of the art form. And so, it, you know, in many ways, it's just a very interesting thing to really kind of consider. And um, I think for those who are like, well, I'm, I'm not an actor. I'm, not, I'm a writer. I'm a poet. I'm a this, I'm a that. Or I'm, I, you know, I, or I'm stuck in my own creativity. Um, regardless, though, I think that the real takeaway here from actors is that it, 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 can, it can just take a moment to really begin to imagine the life of another person. You know, just for one moment to just sort of step in, just even one toe into that person's life. Because that alone, even just a little bit, can increase a kind of empathy that I think this world actually needs. You know, it is storytelling that, you know, I, if you're sto- into storytelling, then I, I can't imagine a world where empathy is not part of the narrative, to be honest with you. Mm, yeah, it, it's like if the Queen of Cups comes up in your reading, then start imagining the perspectives of other people in your world or start even imagining like, what if you were this other character? 
And you were in your same situation. You were in your same predicament. So, um, you know, how do you open yourself up to creative possibilities? And I understand creativity as like um, innovation or expansion of the possibilities of the materials around you and within you. Right? Yes. Love that. Can you think of anyone from pop culture, mythology, film, literature, et cetera, that reminds you of the Queen of Cups? Someone, yeah, creative, emotionally intelligent, vulnerable, powerful. Oh, my God, powerful. So many people. Actually, there's so many. I mean, this is a limitless list, but a couple people that actually initially came to mind, um, you know, (laughs) the show Fleabag was just like, whatever, a couple years ago, I just thought was so amazing. It was so great. I I loved it. I just loved it. I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is just such a queen of cups, kind of bringing the hilarity and the magic into the everyday, um, just it, from writing to the, the, the acting to the just, oh, oof, I'm beyond words. I think in a way she is. She's a cancer too, Carolyn says. She's putting in a little note there. In her you chest. see? I didn't know that about her. Well, that's so interesting that you say that because in Fleabag, she's kind of so acerbic and um, kind of like uh, critical. And I love <laughs> that you're bringing that to the Queen of Cups because I do see that she can be like, she's very relational. She's like, I want to relate to you and you and you, like in the bedroom. <laughs> but also, um, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge as, a, as an artist is we don't know if she's like the character in Fleabag, right? Because she's embodying this other character and she's doing it so well that it seems like, oh, this is like who you are. But we don't know if she might be completely different than that. But the thing is that that project was so original, right? Like I'd never seen anything like that before. That's right. It really requires people trusting their own imagination, to be frank. I think Phoebe, in a a way, I, I feel that she did trust her imagination. And um, so that's why she decided to write this thing and take it to the next level. And she's really highly t- well, t- you know, well trained in her form. And it, it takes rigor. And I really, um, I respect that a lot. I respect that from anybody because, as we know, it is, you know, it's one thing to just imagine something. It's the next thing to put that self energy to drive it forward. So um, kudos to those that do, and kudos to other Queen of Cups out there. If you maybe are resonating with this, it may be a time, you know, if you find the Queen of Cups and you have this question about your creativity, that it's a time to really um, take very seriously your imagination. Take it very seriously. I tell this to clients, and I really believe it. If you can imagine it, you can do it. It's that simple. I mean, I think that after all my dissertation, that was the one thing that I learned. If you can imagine whatever it is that you would like to create, then you're one step closer to creating it. If you so choose, that's now your self-energy and it's your will that will drive you there. You know, I want to tell a story about you that where you did this for me, which was many years ago and I was getting a divorce and um, I was going out to Joshua Tree and I was looking for like places to rent for the month. I was going to stay out there for a month and just, you know, like do my own imaginal work and, there was this one really beautiful place that I was wanting to stay. It was, this, it was made of hay bales and it had like these stained glass windows and it, it was like acoustic. It was made for music and it was so beautiful. It was really expensive. 
And there were all these other places that were actually kind of ugly, but were much more within my price range. And I, I wasn't really financially stable at that time. And I certainly wasn't in the place that I am now in terms of like having like comfort financially. And I was telling you about this. I was saying, I, I want to, you know, these are the places and I, I maybe want to take this one, but I, I don't think I can because, you know, financially. And you said, you know, you light up when you talk about that place. You noticed the spark of my imagination, how it kind of enlivened me and kind of encouraged me to take that risk to move towards my imagination, to move towards the, the thing that made me feel inspired. And I actually think that being in that space, which I took, even though I couldn't really afford it, um, being in that space made me think that I could be more as a person, like that I like that I could take a risk to allow my life to expand in a way that I that I hadn't thought I could do because I didn't see myself as someone who could do that, and that risk and that willingness to see that like my life could be more beautiful, that I could have more beauty in my life like that allowed me to conceive that maybe I could also expand my world into becoming, you know, the Oracle of Los Angeles or to writing a book or to, you know, all the other things that I was ultimately able to go on to do. So I want to really thank you for that. Well, you know, um, in thinking about the Queen of Cups, I thought a lot about you. You know, I think that in many ways you are quite the embodiment of, I think, all those parts, both the um, the incredible range of imagination and consciousness and real creativity, producing many things into the world that have directly changed people's lives, you know, especially your own. Well, you inspire me. So this is just evidence of how creativity is like an interpersonal project because like a lot of my creativity like has its roots and things that you inspired me to do. So we are living, we are living it's the evidence. We're living evidence of it, people. <laughs> So kind of final question here, what are some things that people can do at home, like right now, if they want to cultivate their creativity, their emotional intelligence, you know, they want to, they want to cultivate their imagination. Like what is some simple exercise that they could just start putting into practice? Well, I have, gosh, I have so many, um, so many different ones that, that really have come to mind. So I'll kind of break things down, I think in a really, um, you know, kind of a brief sort of manner, but I think, um, you know, it's really important to get into the, the frequency. Um, we were talking about trance earlier in terms of that whole channeling for the trance formation of things, but to really enter into a kind of frequency, whether it's through the use of tarot or through other means, we have to really think about how do we get into the frequency where the magic can happen, where the transformation can happen, where the, the imagination can best reside and where creative um, activity can best bloom. And so, you know, I was thinking a lot about the most simple things like um, taking a walk. Actually, in honor of the Queen of Cups, I mean, what about taking a cup and finding small objects or noting small things with your camera, taking photos of everything that just reminds you of 
the Queen of Cups or even the more Venusian aspects of, of the Queen of Cups and really either taking those in, into yourself, sort of, you know, you are the living altar or perhaps building a small altar in, in your own home in honor of, of, of the card or in honor of, of creativity, the matrix energy or the imagination, which is the kind of the water and the chalice experience we were talking about. I was also thinking a lot about the idea of altering, and I think many of you probably do alters anyway, so maybe it's just a matter of adding more to it, but um, words, trinkets, images, talismans, anything that is symbolic of that creative energy and the imagination, both distinctly, both together, whatever that means for you, but putting it into a material form is really important. But some other things I think is allowing yourself to freely explore your own emotional life. And uh, for many, that could take the shape of journaling, uh, um, you know, other types of writing, creative writing, poetry, you know, it could be um, imagery through, you know, even doodling, you know, with your pen, with, you know, whatever, with graphite, whatever you have. But I mean, putting something visual out into form, I think can be really helpful for at least to stimulate the, um, both the imaginal inner life and also the creative acts of, you know, of producing something, if that is so, um, if you so choose to. So I really want to emphasize the emotional aspect. And then a couple last things, but um, this really came up for me yesterday, thinking about sitting with you all. And in many ways, I think to access the Queen of Cups, you can go through it in two ways. I mean, I think one is petitioning to the Queen, petitioning to her and asking for, in a way, her, her, her request to either really believe in your imagination, activate something creatively, get into the matrix already, then the flip side of it is you also don't need to ask anybody for permission. So, you know, so if you're listening to me right now and you're kind of feeling inspired, well, just do it. Whatever it is you want to do, just do it. Begin. It's already begun. It's in your imagination. Just start doing it. Materialize, put into form, formation, transformation, right? Channel and put it into form. So um, a lot of other ideas, but I'll, I'll leave you with that one. Those are so great. I think they're so important, that idea of shifting consciousness, right? However you need to shift your consciousness, but to get into a state where you can imagine that things could go differently than you're, you know, the, 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 the part of you that's most afraid and, and maybe most stuck is thinking this is the way reality is. But by entering that trance state, however you need to do it and getting into that altered state of consciousness. And then from that state, exactly as you said, bringing something into material reality, whether it's an altar or talisman or drawing or journal entry, and that that, that manifestation is the creativity that we're bringing forth from the imagination. So Yana, you're brilliant. Actually, it's just it's an it's we're, we are just resonating. We're trying to connect as much as we can with the Queen of Cups. We're just we're just trying to put, you know tap right on into the source. I think we're just. I'm hoping that it resonates for everybody as much as it's resonating for us here. Well, I think probably everybody who's listening is going to want to have you as their therapist. Is going to want to like find out everything about you. Is going to want to listen to you in every way. Um, where can they find out more? Like where should I? Where should we go to find out more about you? Sure. Well, you're welcome to check out my website, uh, Empowerment Psychology, um, LA.com. And um, that's where I have most of my services. You know, I think my focus right now has been a lot of individual work with clients, but that's where, you know, you could typically find me. And do you, do you have anything coming up or anything that you would like to pitch or plug? Or? 
Ooh, you know, I wish I had something to pitch right now. If you follow me um, on Instagram at Empowerment Psychology, if anything comes up there, whether it's you know my class ideas or my book ideas that I want to launch, you'll you'll hear about it there. Uh, for right now, I've just been you know, as you can imagine, I've just been so busy with you know individual practice, but hopefully something soon, everybody. Yay! That's so fantastic. Well, I'm so excited. I'm so excited we got to have this talk. I feel really inspired. I, w- I want to go channel the Queen of Cups now. So. Oh, me too. I'm going to go take a walk after this and I'm going to just, you know, I might build an altar, literally. Yay. Well, thank you so much for being on, Diana. It was such an honor and a privilege to to have a little journey into your inner world. So thank you for being here. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in today, dear listeners. It's always a pleasure to be with you. Didn't this episode make you want to go make something? Don't forget to go check out Diana's website, empowermentpsychology.com, which is in the show notes. And if you liked this episode, please do take a moment to leave us a comment on iTunes. It only takes two minutes, but it's a very helpful way to let us know that you like the show and to start putting your creative pearls of wisdom into use. Also, Have you joined my Substack yet? I post lots of juicy content over there. Spells, essays on ecology, Hecate, witchcraft, you'll love it. First level is free, and all you have to do to sign up is go to amandayatesgarcia.substack.com and put your name in. And also, please stay tuned for our next episode, which will be coming out in a couple of weeks. You want to hit that subscribe button because we've got special friends of the podcast Amy Torok and Risa Dickens of the Missing Witches podcast. We love that podcast, and we know that you will too. They'll be on Between the Worlds to talk about their new book on the powers of the new moon right before the new moon in Libra. So you'll know just what to do for it. Handy, isn't it? Can't wait to share that episode with you. In the meantime, we will see you Between the Worlds. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Subscribers to our Weird Circle at the Jupiter level get workshops, community, bonus content, and magical support throughout the year. We really do hope that you join us. In the meantime, if you love our content and want to keep us on the air, please do take a moment to give us five stars or leave us a sweet review on iTunes or share your favorite moments from the podcast on social media. Truly, all of it makes a huge difference to us. You can tag me at Oracle Valet or at Between the Worlds Podcast. Not only does your support help keep us on the air, it helps baby witches who really need this content know how to find their way to us between the worlds. So thank you for being here and thank you for helping other people find their way here as well. This podcast is hosted by Amanda Yates Garcia and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our icon was created by Maria Minnis, aka Tiny Parsnip, and our graphic design is by Leah Hayes. Thanks for flying with us. <laughs>